Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, as always, is Jeremy Feinstone. We are contributors to the Fight Game Media Network. We are in week two of G1, about the midway point of the tournament. There's been some ups and there have been some downs. There's good and bad about this, Jeremy. Halfway through, how are you feeling about G1 Climax 33? If you'd asked me yesterday that question, I felt like we hadn't like shifted into a higher gear. But after today's show, I feel like things have definitely gotten more interesting and the G1 table has been set for some kind of end game for a lot of these brackets. And a lot of upsets today, a lot of stuff worth talking about. I'm really liking what the G1 is turning into. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that expect like every night of the G1 to just have top to bottom great matches. And I like to remind people that it's not a sprint in the G1. It's a marathon. They're, they're laying groundwork at the beginning of the tournament for stuff at the end of the tournament. And what you're seeing right now is like the orchestration playing out. And thankfully people have stayed healthy. Uh, thankfully we haven't lost anyone to any injuries potentially yet. Um, but if things are going the way they are, it seems like a very well booked G1. What about you? I have more mixed feelings about it than you do. And okay. I, I will say that the expectations you referenced a bit earlier about how every match should be great. That used to be the case. Yeah. And it's not anymore. And so I think there's a little bit of an issue there in the way this tournament is structured, in the way that it has been uh, booked. It's been I, the booking, I think, has been good. I'm not sure the structure was the best idea. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later mm -hmm. in the show as we go through this. Uh, I don't really have too much of a problem only a little bit with you know, who's won and who lost in terms of long-term stuff. But the idea that fans expect the G1 matches to all be great, well, they used to be all great. Back in the day when you had five tournament matches and some preview tags, those tournament matches, two blocks of 10, were almost all, day in and day out, great. Mm -hmm. Adding another dozen wrestlers into this thing has diluted that and we had what i think was the first bad g1 show i've ever seen this past week i do and agree that there was a bad g1 show but i never think what is happening before. what i think is happening is by necessity because of the conversation we had last week about the rebuild year um a lot of this stuff is being done because they are not like going shifting into a high gear with yoda suji with shota umino with ren ren narita like they are taking their time and people who, you know, expected like they were going to strap a rocket to these guys and really show them what they got. Uh, they are, but they're not getting signature wins yet. So you've got that. You've got the Kaido Kiyomiya introduction from, uh, from Noah. You've got, you know, the story of Okada and Osprey in that bracket and everything seems to be kind of orbiting around that. But with the rebuild year, with the protection of the guys, with the draws, I think my expectations were just different going into it, kind of understanding what they were planning on doing. You know, they had I, – I still believe that there are two guys circled for the end game uh, in this tournament. My 1A and my, my number two, 
if you will. Uh, and everything that I've seen has led me to believe that those two guys will probably be still in the hunt near the final four. As for now, as for these tournaments, it has delivered on what my expectations were going to be. And I think that's what it comes down to, is that your expectations for this tournament and my expectations just, like, there has been a gradual decrease in the quality of the G1 over the last few years. From 2018 till now, they have tinkered with the tournament. You can blame COVID. You can blame all these factors that come into play. But the fact of the matter is, is this is no longer the two brackets of 10. And I don't think it's ever going to be again, um, just because of the demand, the availability, the sheer talent in New Japan. Um, you have 32. Even if you cut it down to 20, there's about five or six guys in there that you're like, ooh, I really wish they were in there and we'd be having that argument. So mm -hmm. I, 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 I will... We could get revisit this next week too, but that's really where I stand on it. And I am, and I'm going to give the the four back to you because I think I've talked for like four minutes straight. <laughs> I I think I could find a dozen guys I could cut from this and not really have much of a problem and not miss them too much. But if they if they were back in preview tags and that type, I think there there are quite a few guys in this tournament that would be better off in preview tags, and that's not an insult to their work. It's an insult, or not an. It's not an insult to them. It's more along the lines of where they're actually slotted and if they really need to be in a G one type of tournament. So again, we have we, we have watered down, but I, I can think of twelve guys I could lose from this thing and and not. not I'm going to be line. polite and say I could too, but I'm not going to play that game. Uh, well, I'm not going to do, do it. Wish, I, mean, I, I, I do you know, wish that uh, I do wish that Lawler was in the tournament. The the more that this goes on, I know that. I know what his positioning would be in it. It probably wouldn't be ideal, but for what he's doing and the guy that I sent last week uh, is kind of taking his style. I feel like could have just put Lawler in there and I, I still stand by it. Well, we're going to talk about how this thing's been going because there are signs that the fans at new Japan are not loving this thing either. And we're going to get into some of that. Now there's been a morale boost toward the end of the week because they've been back in Tokyo, but the, started off on July 21st in Nagaoka. Now, this was actually a pretty decent crowd as far as enthusiasm goes. Uh, this They were into everything, and they were fairly loud. It, outside of Tokyo, it's more difficult. Yeah, well, Osaka, but Osaka is its own beast. Uh, outside of those two major cities, it's a little tougher to get people into it. And like we mentioned a while back, even after the pandemic you still get a lot more clapping than you do vocal cheering and there's a big difference between a crowd of 2300 which is what they had in nagaoka on the 21st this year when there still are no restrictions now we're back to no restrictions to before the pandemic 2300 sounded a lot louder and right now they do tend to applaud more than vocally cheer it's an interesting little thing they haven't gotten totally back into it yet uh, if you go back in new japan world to say 2019 uh, a lot more vocal uh, expression from the fans. But uh, this one wasn't too bad. Here's here's the point I'm trying to make. 23,000, uh, 23,000, 2,361 was the listed attendance. The same building, they drew 3,384, so 1,000 people more for a night of the New Japan Cup this year. So, wow. it, so it's dropped by 33% since the new japan cup not that long ago 
not that long ago. So something to keep in mind as we go through some of this. So we have uh, the first match was Yoshihashi against Tangaloa. In the this was a uh, the blocks were uh, here. We're doing uh, the, this is A block and B block. Excuse me. So uh, this match was a good match. They worked hard. Uh, it basically, it was the uh, Tangaloa's apeshit finish. The, the one where it's basically uh, like a, sort of a straight up and down Falcon Arrow right there. But uh, that was countered into a crucifix bomb. That one's turned into a good weapon for Yoshihashi. You're going to hear the word crucifix many times in this episode. Uh, it seems to be the uh, preferred finish these days in New Japan. But uh, a good match. They worked hard. And Yoshihashi's having a hell of a tournament. That's one thing that's absolutely true and had been true for several years. He doesn't win all of his matches or even most of his matches, has a losing record overall in the G1, but he's been wrestling very well the last few years in this tournament. Yoshihashi, another good performance here and got a win in 1235. Yeah, I uh, I really like the positioning of Yoshihashi in the tournament so far, like a steady journeyman who, you know, you can count on for the good matches. You can never count him out for winning or losing a match. And uh, I've got some theories about Tangaloa going forward, but him uh, him getting wins over teams in uh, or team members who hold belts in mm. New Japan right now seems like uh, a trend for all the Tongans that well, he did. I find very interesting. He did lose this one for the one half of the World Tag Team Champs, Yoshihashi. No, Yoshi but he he, he he has. Uh, might potentially have a win down the line that I'm, I'm thinking about think with some of the other guys and i kind of jumped the gun on that <laughs> this one kind of surprised me the next one gabriel kidd defeated ren narita 10 minutes and five seconds it was uh, another match that was it had good heel work by gabe kidd uh, and of course uh, narita had the jump start that gabe kidd's been doing in every match scouted so that makes him a lot smarter than most of the baby faces in new japan uh saw it coming uh but in the end narita had the cobra twist and then there was Bullet Club shenanigans. A uh, kid grabbed the ref. Referee was uh, covering up, got the low blow, package pile driver. And part of the reason for this, maybe Gabe Kid was talking a lot of smack about Shibata on the way yeah. out, both in the <laughs> ring and afterwards. So maybe they're trying to set something up there. But either way, poor Ren Narita, man. Uh, another loss for him out of the gate. But this match was fine. Any this, thoughts was, on this was the Shibata match. Uh, Gabe Kid had a lot of resentment towards the LA Dojo and Shibata was in charge of it. Ren Narita was the model student of Shibata and basically the shadow of Shibata. Gabe Kid talked a lot about Shibata. Shibata is not in New Japan. So we shall see what plays out on that. But yeah, this was the, this was the ghost of Shibata that, ho- uh, that haunted this match. And eventually Ren Narita is going to beat the crap out of Gabe Kid and win. But today was not that day. Great Okan and El Fantasma were next. There was a lot of nipple play in this one. Made me a little uncomfortable, but hey, uh, I'm not here to nay anyone's yay. Uh, Great Okan. Uh, <laughs> no shaming took, here? <laughs> t- no, uh, no kink shaming. I uh, took the titty twister and liked it. Uh, but So that was uncomfortable. But anyway, uh, I wrote in my notes, uh, bit him on the nipple and El Fantasma sold. This is really bad at this point. It was in my notes. And so then, however, I also have the next note was, well, that was fixed immediately. Uh, Fantasmo hit a top rope suicida, a uh, tope suicida, and then a big crossbody block from the top uh, turnbuckle to Great Okan, who was outside the barricade. So a lot of air right there. And those two moves woke the crowd up from thinking, oh, we're going to do a comedy match into, oh, no, 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 something serious is going on. 
uh, led to some chance for El Fantasmo. A uh, big move battle uh, broke out then, and Okan ended up getting the tap out with the Sheep Killer, which is what he calls his uh, little stretch move there with the neck and the shoulders after he hit an Eliminator. That's his claw slam uh, on his knee, on the knee. So that was a bit of a backbreaker as well. And all of that combination of things led to the tap out from El Fantasmo. We also heard in the post match interview that El Fantasmo lost his grandfather only what, an hour or so before the Okada match? Awful. The uh, two days before. So uh, El Fantasmo going through a lot here, but still having really good performances. Great Okan getting a victory here. Uh, ELP, though, is getting over as a baby face with the crowd, winning people over little by little, and this was a step in that direction. Of course, our uh, thoughts are with El Fantasmo and his family as uh, they lost his uh, beloved grandfather. Yeah, they are they're slowly building up El Fantasmo. And the idea that you have to go out there and wrestle Okada 30 minutes after finding out that mm. uh, a loved one passes away is like there are there are football performances that you hear and people just perform out of their mind uh, on the football field. Uh, you've seen stories like that. Uh, media loves to report on something like that. I didn't think that El Fantasmo, uh, his match with Okada was anything standout, but the fact that he was able to go out there at all and wrestle to the caliber that he had with the best of the world, it's like, I tip my cap to you, sir. That must not have been easy. Chase Owens got a win over Hikaleo in the next match here. Both guys worked hard, but there wasn't anything real special about this one there. But I was surprised Chase won. <laughs> little bit, yeah. Yeah, I was as well. Uh, Hikaleo off to a, a rough start in that tournament at that point. Uh, had not gotten a win yet. Will Ospreay and Kenta had a pretty damn good match there. Uh, 14 minutes and two seconds. Noah, pro wrestling Noah, where Kenta really came from, uh, means a lot to Will Ospreay. And they talked about it a little bit on the air, Kevin Kelly. And uh, I, I don't remember if Chris Charlton was with him at the time uh, or if it was during one of the solo shows there. But apparently, pro wrestling Noah, back in the day, had... TV on some obscure channel at some obscure time of day in England. And Will grew up watching Noah more than even New <laughs> Japan. It was, and so guys like Kenta, he has mentioned uh, Naomi Marafuji is a guy, a dream opponent for him. And I think that's going to happen later on this year. Marafuji and Osprey. September. Great. Yeah. So these guys, these Noah guys uh, are important to Will. And uh, you could see that he was putting a lot of effort into this one and he got it back from Kenta. I mentioned that I need to look at Kenta's matches through different lenses than I had and give the guy a bit of a break because his body has been so damaged and he's had so many surgeries and health issues and, and injury issues that uh, it, it's worth noting. Uh, and, and it is, and that, that is fair, uh, but he stepped up in this one. Uh, there were kendo sticks and low blows and ref bumps and things because Kenta's in Bullet Club and they contractually obligated to do it. Uh, but uh, eventually Will rallied with a super kick, hidden blade, and he got the Stormbreaker. He hasn't always been using the Stormbreaker, but Kenta got it. This was one of the better Kenta matches in a good bit. And, of course, uh, as you mentioned, the Marafuji match coming up. So you could tell this one meant something to Will, and it brought out something in Kenta. I really, really liked this match. Uh, if you are paying attention and trying to keep track of what to watch and find out what is important uh, and, you know, prioritize the show when you're listening to us. I'm going to tell you the second half of the July 21st show, mm. all four matches, second half of the show, starting with the Will Ospreay and Kenta match, great matches. I'm going to recommend each and every one of them for something different. So just keep in mind that. Also, Stephen, 
every time you say you have to revisit Kenta, I feel a little vindicated. Well, you know, that. it's it's just a matter of re- recognizing that he he can't really be what he was, and no, it's, but it's, there was not there it's was not fair to expect him to be. Kenta. There were shades of old Kenta, and he was he was putting his working shoes on tonight. A lot of the times there is performative Kenta, but I felt like this was a mix of performative and uh, I, I'm ready to go, Kenta. I'll, I'll I'll ache tomorrow, Kenta. Yeah, yeah, and and we we got the we got the other version later in the, <laughs> the week, but this <laughs> one was the good version of Kenta. So we had Kato Kiyomiya and Shota Umino. Speaking of Noah guys, there Kato Kiyomiya, and this was a very good match and. I, you know, I won't break it down. We don't have time to break the whole thing down, but there was a terrific figure four spot in here, which led to a very long struggle. Kiyomiya clamped on the figure four. Of course, Kiyomiya's hero as uh, Mitsuharu Masawa, one of the founders of Noah, the main founder of Noah, And, uh, you know, he is uh, idolized uh, Masawa and uh, uses a lot of his moves. It was a tiger suplex in this one, for instance. Of course, Misawa was uh, tiger mask number two for uh, a portion of his career, the second Tiger Mask in all Japan. And uh, at 18 minutes, so, you know, you started hearing the time call after that Tiger Suplex, 18 minutes, then oh, can we get it in? One of the smartest things about this tournament has been they have done finishes very close to that time limit and yeah, have draws. So you honestly don't know. You know, before, you know, a lot of times if you're watching a match and the thing goes 45 minutes, and starts creeping toward 50 minutes, you're like, okay, well, we're going to go full of one hour, right? And you just are. There's no point in going this long unless you're going to do the whole hour, right? This, not so much. There is a lot of doubt. And they they took it to the extreme in this week. But this had that doubt in it. You really lived and died with these near falls toward the end. Uh, you know, high knees, shining wizards, package DDT, uh, that, that kind of tuck DDT with only 30 seconds left that Omino does. Uh, but Kiyomi is able to kick out and the time limit expired. 20-minute draw and a damn good one. I loved it. It was so good. Uh, I think uh, Kiyomiya is opening up a lot of people's eyes, as he does in this tournament. Um, he's especially motivated because the most eyes that have ever been on him are, are currently on him right now, I would I would argue. And then, you know, Shota's going to get his big win, man. He's going to get it. And I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know <laughs> when it's going to be. But but we will yeah. celebrate it together when it happens. <laughs> that was one of my big predictions, and I'm I'm going to lay it out there because I'm not done with it yet. That he was going to get a signature victory for his career at some point during this run. Uh, now I'm I'm less confident in that than I used to be, but uh, you know I'm still hoping, holding out hope for Shota. Up next was Kazuchika Okada and Taichi. This may have been one of Taichi's greatest performances. Both of these guys were fabulous. Of course, Okada is one of the best on earth, but. They both hit big moves out of the gate, which gave the whole match an air of danger. Uh, there was a tombstone from Okada and a Rainmaker attempt within a minute. And then Taichi hit a big Enzugiri that flattened Okada. So within two minutes, both guys were kind of down and dazed, you know, which you normally don't see until about 15 minutes into a match. But it was fun to throw that in, that, that, that there could be some sort of a sudden end to this. A really good spot in this match. Okada went up to the top rope attempted the flying drop kick taichi turned it into a gorgeous looking power bomb and that was a really good spot right there and really made okada look vulnerable uh, a rainmaker was countered into a strong saito suplex from uh, taichi they went back and forth again uh, black mephisto was reversed 
The crowd was really into Taichi, and one of the greatest near falls of this entire tournament was the ghetto clutch in this match, where it looked to all the world like he had pinned Okada, and he may have. That <laughs> was a way. fantastic. <laughs> he may fantastic have. He might have kicked ball. out at 3.1 instead of 2.9, but nevertheless, it was called 2.9. Not quite a finish there. And uh, Taichi tried for the Mephisto again, and Okada gets that roll-up of his and got the pinfall. Taichi was amazing in this match. Okada is amazing all the time. And uh, 16 minutes and 20 seconds, but really a roller coaster of a match. Fabulous stuff. Big match Taichi rules. He wasn't <laughs> big match Taichi later on this week, but for this match, he showed up and he showed out. I will also say this. It was this show where I became convinced that you've got to get rid of that microphone, dude. He was so checked out <laughs> with that microphone to his mouth. He doesn't even talk. He just... He times it to put it right back to his face and just keep his lips closed, do his routine. And it's just like, man, just give him something. Give him something a little bit different that doesn't require him to do like the fake microphone because he's almost just ready to give it 1,000% all the time. And I think that's what's holding it back is he's just, he's not into his gimmick sometimes. And we had the main event of Sonata and Yota Suji. Now, this is, of course, the big rematch from the Dominion main event. This is the main event here as well. And in this one, you know, you thought, well, maybe it's time for the big uh, you know, upset, Yota, to get his win back. Until you realize Sonata's in his hometown. So what do you think is going to happen to this one? So uh, Suji actually used the skull end in this one. Uh, Sonata worked very hard to get a TKO. Tried many times. Couldn't quite get it. Couldn't quite get it. Couldn't quite get it. Finally did. Uh, Suji hit a nice looking moonsault for two, which of course has some subtext in it since Sonata is such a student of Kaiji Mudo. And I have it in my notes right here that Sonata just does not have the feeling of a top guy where in his matches we're going to see something special. And I'm going to stand by that in this one. This was a really good match, though. And uh, But, you know, Sonata got the skull end at 17 minutes. Suji managed to cartwheel out of a deadfall, which was pretty amazing. <laughs> that was a pretty cool spot right there. Cartwheel out of a deadfall. Uh, but then uh, there, he hit a high knee uh, super kick and a curb stomp for two. That looked really good. But he ran into a cutter from Sonata when he tried to spear him. He turned the spear attempt into a cutter. Then he hit the moonsault for a two count. Then, I mean, Sonata hitting the Muto style moonsault. Then he hit deadfall for the pin. And, you know, he's not going to lose this thing in his in his hometown very often. Not saying never, but Ghetto usually puts the hometown boy over. And they did, they did it here. But, you know, I'm going to stand by this, that when Sonata wrestles, it does not have that Okada, Naito feel that we're about to see something really amazing. It just doesn't. And this was a good match. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough for me with Sonata as, as the champ. I'm, I'm not convinced they've made the right choice with him. I'm still not. Uh, but this was a good match. But, again, man, at this point, the Reiwa Three Musketeers, zero victories at this point in the tournament. I told you, man, they were going to all bottleneck each other in this tournament and just take themselves all out of relevancy with them competition with each other. Also, this was the match where if they were going to give Sonata a run at going undefeated in the bracket that I was most nervous about oh, was yeah. whether they would have him draw or lose to Yoda Suji. And I don't know why it was, but I felt like it was the match where either 
the story is Sonata potentially goes undefeated his entire bracket, or that Yoda Suji is still a threat. And if Yoda Suji is still a threat to him, that's a great story. But I feel like the priority right now kind of needs to give Sonata a shine more than everybody else. And him having the best bracket record of anybody feels like the way to go. It's pretty critically important to two guys that have something to prove and then the new faction leaders, Finlay and Sonata. They need to look strong in this tournament because I'm, I think there is evidence that the crowd doesn't consider them top guys yet. And uh, you know that, so it's going to be crucial for them to try to make him a top guy. This wasn't a bad step. Sonata was good in this match. Again, I, I it's just a general intangible. Like mm-hmm. during Sonata matches, do you feel like I'm about to watch an all-time classic? I don't. And no. and no. I do with Okada. I do with Naito in a lot of situations. Not every situation, but a lot. Of, I do with Will Ospreay. And there's a there's a difference. There are levels to this game, and I'm not convinced Sonata's on the level of some of those others. So, uh, anyway, that was that show right there. We go on to the 23rd, which is in Nagano, Japan, former host of the Winter Olympics, and uh, this was in Big Hat. Uh, the attend it was attended by 1,180 very quiet people, and uh, the G1 had not been in Nagano since uh, 2016. They drew 1,700 then. So I was so, quiet too watching this one. Well, okay, uh, they did, and and they did a better uh, number for uh, Road to New Beginning in uh, 2019. Here, that was uh, in in Nagano. So, uh, again, they hadn't been in Big Hat in a while. They usually go to a gymnasium, a smaller gymnasium in town, and maybe they should have here as well. But, uh, yeah, road to new beginning, outdrawing the G1 uh, within a few years. So, again, uh, but this show, well, we're going to talk about this show. This was, I feel, the first bad G1 show I've ever seen. Just time I I finished out in the end and said, ugh, that was not good. And uh, there were some good things on this, but they were outweighed. We're going to go through it uh, here. Zack Sabre and Alex Coughlin in the first match. Everything was fine for a little while in this one, Jeremy, but then something was odd. They went for about 10 minutes, and then Coughlin hit a fallaway slam with a bridge on Zack. Uh, then he tried to float over and pick Zack up, and he just couldn't. Did not uh, happen. You saw him whisper something to Zack. Abruptly, Zack puts an arm bar on him. Abruptly, Coughlin, uh, Coughlin t- uh, taps out immediately. There's no selling or struggle. Taps out immediately. Zach releases it at once. Coughlin seemed okay after, but he didn't show up for backstage comments, which take place immediately after the match. And then there was a big angle, a very important angle with, well, what was supposed to be a very important angle. We'll get into how it didn't turn out that way. With Bullet Club, War Dogs, and House of Torture, and he wasn't out for that either. And that was about an hour and a half later. So... I don't know what happened here, uh, whether he, you know, he, this is a guy who a couple of days earlier, a few days earlier, was throwing Jeff Cobb around, but he seemed like he kind of hit a wall against Zach. I don't know if he was dehydrated, if he didn't feel well, but uh, this ended abruptly. And then we didn't see Alex the rest of the night in a couple of places where we normally would have seen him. It was just kind of a strange way to start this show. Yeah, I I thought it was just dehydration because it seemed like he couldn't get Zach up, but they were nearing towards the finish anyways. Mm-hmm. And it's important for Zach Sabre Jr. to beat some guys in under 15 minutes in this tournament. Right. Especially lower card guys because of his title and that's his signature like kind of deal. 
So I didn't necessarily think anything was wrong, but I was curious that he wasn't out there uh, later on because Gabe Kidd was. And I, I just assumed for whatever reason, I got crossed up on who was where on what night. But yeah, the dynamic was a little skewed as a result later on. Yeah, it was str- it's strange. We'll get to that angle a little bit later that he probably should have been out there for him, wasn't. We had Tomatonga yeah. and Mikey Nichols. Now, Nichols... Uh, you know, Nichols went up uh, on this one on top for a moonsault. Tomatonga caught him with a gun stun out of the moonsault. That was a cool looking spot. Uh, decent match, nothing really special, but nothing bad, not, not too bad. Another gun stun for the win. Tomatonga needed two points here, and Mikey was there to provide it. Just solid match right there. Anything to add to that one? Nope. Hiroki Goto and Shane Haste, another weird one. So Goto was uh, wrestling Haste here. Fairly normally, Haste hit a cannonball into the corner, same way that Kevin Owens often does it. Although Haste actually looked really cool, he got a little bit more of an arc on his. Kevin Owens kind of goes with the whole uh, the momentum of it, whereas Haste kind of went with finesse. So both of them are really good versions of it. But Haste hit a cannonball that really seemed to bother Goto. He started grabbing his ribs immediately, covered his ribs the mess- rest of the match in pain. They went home very fast. This thing was two minutes and twenty nine seconds. Goto got a sleeper and a crucifix take a drink, uh, roll up to win. Uh, the, the crucifix is this week's drinking game here. Uh, the ribs will either be the story of the tournament or a worked injury or both. If it is a worked injury, it was a great sell job because he looked very unhappy, both in the backstage comments mm-hmm. during the match. He looked like he was in pain. If he is working this to make it a story that Goto is vulnerable because of his ribs, hats off, Hiroki Goto. You are a, you are a damn fine actor. He uh, he definitely looked like his ribs are hurting. Yeah. Uh, it could I be thought, both, right? It could it be both. Could and they be decided both, to incorporate like, it. Yeah, that's fair. Like, that's fair. They could is, just be he incorporated. He is a veteran, and there is injured and there is hurt. And yeah. he is probably teetering the line between hurt and injured right now. That's all I got. Got it. So, uh, Eddie Kingston and Hanare met in the next match. Uh, this is a Hanare jumpstart. Uh, Eddie is the first guy to get a response the whole night. Everything else has just fallen really flat. We've also had two abrupt flat finishes that didn't look like fin- they didn't have the same setup for the buildup that you normally get to a finish. It just seemed like everyone just said, we got to go home, and they went home for two of the matches. Uh, and so there wasn't a whole lot to react to. And uh, he did get a bit of a response, but it was a clap chant, as I like to call it, where it's just like, you know, the clap, 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 not really a vocal thing. Uh, Eddie's selling is really good. He overcame the pain. Um, Eddie ended up hitting two back fists during an exchange and collapsed unconscious on top of an also unconscious Hanari for the win. Big striking battle and uh, pretty good. Uh, but, you know, uh, there were better things to come from Eddie this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Hanari, I wish you quit it with the headbucks. Man, I don't every match with these headbucks and him and Mikey Nichols just getting front. Ishii too. A uh, lot of headbucks. I'm getting tired of the headbucks. Hanari, yeah. Hanari is the guy that I feel is really trying to use headbucks to for dramatic tension in his matches. And he's already got me kind of on the like yellow alert with his health. And uh, I just, I want him to get through in one piece and he's not, we all know he's not a driving focus in this match. He just wants to have really good matches and set the stage. And he's already got 
worldwide press and presence for uh, the, the tribal chief stuff in New Zealand, please just get out of this healthy. Yeah. Tetsuya Naito and Toru Yano were next. <laughs> and I think that's all we need to say about that one. Uh, so here's the thing. It was Naito's night off. Uh, I will say this about it. I thought this was interesting. He, t- he, he took his shirt off? He did. He went through this whole thing where his music, and of course, Yano always plays it up like he is incredibly perturbed at how long Naito takes, right? Part of the tranquilo <laughs> thing. He takes time. Yano plays it up huge. Like he's just totally annoyed by this. Naito took so long, his music cycled through again, <laughs> and the song started over in a really funny bit. Jeremy, I did like this. When I loved song, the whole thing. I did. When, I loved it. <laughs> when Naito's song started over, Naito got this surprised look on his face and ran back up the aisle and started the whole thing all over again. You know, just I like, oh, wait, I watch his wife to figure out what was going on. And then I'm like, uh, okay, all right, I do. I appreciate it. And Yano is just so exasperated. So, uh, I also think there may have been a little bit of stalling for time because of the two earlier abrupt finishes that we had. So I think there might have been a little bit of padding going on here anyway. But uh, it, after that shenanigans, it was just, uh, you know, Yano comedy stuff. Uh, Naito ended up beating him. Uh, not much to say about the match itself, but the pre-match may have been running the clock a little bit for whatever happened with Coughlin and Goto. It was still only a seven-minute match, even with all the... The BS shenanigans going in. Well, a seven a seven minute match, but probably a fifteen minute uh, intro. <laughs> probably well, not that long. But it was, was probably... the intro longer than the match? You know, decide. We need, we need Sam from Power Bombshells on that one when she timed, when she timed Naito going to the ring at uh, uh, at Forbidden Door. But oh, uh, yeah, fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. And, uh, speaking speaking of Kip, she and Mel guested on the Boom in lieu of Kevin Ely not being able to record and. They had a really great conversation about uh, the timing of women's matches that everyone should go check out if they get a chance. That is a quick, cheap plug for that while we'll do another plug later on. Shinko Takagi and Tomohiro Ishii. Now, here are two guys that cannot have a bad match. Doesn't matter if there is a crowd or not. If these two are just working out, probably in the dojo would be... A fantastic battle and this one certainly was it's an even stiff striking battle all the way up to the 15 minute mark shingo hit the maiden japan last of the dragon at 18 minutes but he couldn't cover him a very stiff even fight but a pumping bomber ended up getting the three count i'm not going to do it justice sitting here talking about it spot for spot go back and watch these two experts at this uh just go and work a hard-hitting, stiff, yet safe match. There wasn't anything in this match that made me think, oh, God, the guy's hurt. Uh, they just know how to do it. They are professionals, and they can put on a fantastic, hard-hitting pro wrestling match. Ishii, at this point, had not won a single match in this tournament, but all of his matches have been highlights of the night they were on. So, uh, you know, once again, Ishii, Mr. G won, even if the point totals aren't there. I'm feeling pretty validated about my prediction so far that the C block might have the best matches uh, of the entire tournament. Just Shingo Takagi and Ishii, they have had excellent matches top to bottom in all their campaigns so far. This was no different. And uh, yes, there were some headbutts. Ishii is, I, I don't know. I just, the rules are different for him. I don't know how else to put it. But this was a fantastic match. When you are looking to recommend a signature G1 match from this year to somebody, when they're like, hey, tell me about a good G1 match that'll, you know, give me a flavor of the tournament, the best of it, this is the match. This is one of those matches I would recommend. 
Jeff Cobb and Hiroshi Tanahashi were up next. 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Fine wrestling match. Nothing spectacular. Nothing bad. Uh, Tour of the Islands uh, was the finish. Uh, Tanahashi missed a high fly flow. You always cringe when he does that. Uh, Cobb actually caught him on an aces high, which (laughs) Tanahashi isn't a monster in any sense, but he's not a small guy. And Cobb just caught him out of the air like, uh, like he was a pillow. Uh, as always, Cobb, very impressive with uh, the strength and things. And, and Cobb, good match. Uh, Tour of the Islands finish. Cobb moves on. They take care of Cobb in the G1, more than they take care of Tanahashi these days. So not surprised by this one at all. Cobb is one of the only undefeated people in the G1 right now. And yeah. he was not. he was considered more of a dark horse candidate to make it to the bracket so all i will say is you reach high you fall you fall farther (laughs) that's a a good way of putting it and the main event of this one oh boy i guess we got to talk about this one david finlay and evil uh both of them were two and oh going into this one so big match for the block right and of course you have the house of torture uh bullet club war dogs thing the final the clash amongst them we're gonna get some sort of resolution as to what evil thinks of all this Ghetto and Gabriel Kidd, who wasn't on the card, uh, were there for uh, on behalf of Finlay. Coughlin not there, again, I mentioned. Uh, the entire House of Torture, uh, Evil and Show, who aren't on this tour, came out for this one to Nagano. So Red Shoes brought out Sakamoto and Kentasato to help, figuring, oh, this is just going to go to hell in, in a handbasket. He was right. And uh, all three ended up getting bumped uh, fairly quickly. Sakamoto, Kentasato... And red shoes. The circus so, had come to town. And there was a big brawl. And then Marty Asami came out, uh, the fourth official that was there. And he got pulled out by Ghetto, and all four refs were down. Uh, Finlay finally hit Evil with uh, the uh, with the belt. It was he used the belt. He he was he, well, he used it as a shield because Evil had the shillelagh. That's what it was. So Evil had the shillelagh. He used the belt as a shield, then hit Evil with it. Uh, then he got the shillelagh back, clobbered evil, hit oblivion. Uh, this sucked. <laughs> and it was uh, tough to watch. <laughs> it was 18 minutes and 10 seconds of, uh, it was a greatest hits package of everything that makes Bullet Club and House of Torture irritating. And uh, I'm going to get into this as to the, the, why the crowds weren't there and why they were quiet besides <laughs> just getting a bad show. Well, when but, this was your advertised main oh. event, no one showed up. <laughs> and then after all that, there was nothing about what House of Torture thought about Bullet Club and what Bullet nope. Club thought about House of Torture. Nope. It was just another match. And after all that buildup between evil and all that, nothing happened. <laughs> I was so bummed. There was a story that Paul Bosch, the Houston promoter, told. I believe it was to Dave Meltzer. He <laughs> was talking about a show at the... Sam Houston Coliseum, where they used to have great cards every Friday night in Houston. Long history of great wrestling in Houston. There was one card that did not draw. I'm not going to say who was in the main event. I think I remember it correctly. And it was two guys you would think, mm, I don't know. Uh, but guys that were stars, but maybe not main event stars, right? And it didn't draw well. And Bosch was talking to Dave per this story. Now, paraphrasing some of this but Bosch was talking about well there was an Astros game in Houston that night and they were indoors the weather outside was kind of rough it was nasty out there you know the fans didn't really come out Mm -hmm. it was a holiday weekend and there were a bunch of things and there was a I think the circus was also in town and and you know there were all these things and then at the end Bosch stopped and said I said all of that 
so that you know next time you talk to a promoter who gives you those excuses, they're full of it. Those are all the excuses you can give. The show didn't draw because I booked a main event that no one wanted to see. And he knew that. And he told, if the story's right, he told Dave, those are the excuses you're going to hear. The answer to the question as to why it didn't draw is because I booked a show people didn't want to see. Evil and David Finlay was not a good main event. The match wasn't good. Evil doesn't, Evil style doesn't allow him to have good matches, although Watanabe is capable of it. And this fell flat. It was the first bad G1 show I've ever seen. And if there were any people in that crowd that were going to New Japan for the first time, I have no idea why they would ever buy a ticket to come back. Wow. I was pissed. No, I I hear you. This is the G1 climax. This shouldn't happen. I believe you, and I am with you. I am personally disappointed because I thought that this was going to lay out some definitive groundwork for the future of Bullet Club, seeing as they have rarely had interactions. And all it has really done is just said, hey, David Finley's in charge. Cool, fun. But there's a lot of Bullet Club stuff that they have not addressed in this G1 Starting with the, uh, I think the Gabe Kid Chase Owens match in the first night. You've got the David Finley evil match. I think Kenta ha- might have an interesting match later on. It's clear to me that whatever's going forward with Bullet Club is not going to be addressed at the G1 and feels almost like a pointless match, other than just to position David Finley and just say, hey, this guy is on top of the totem pole. It left a bad taste in my mouth. But I will get over that in the future. Steven, you know what doesn't leave a bad taste in my mouth? What would that be, Jeremy? That is the $5 Patreon for Fight Game Media. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, it's a great deal. In addition to all the free shows that are on the feed, there is an additional Patreon show. You pay the $5, you get a five-star Joshi show with Scott Edwards. You get, right now, the WCW 96 retrospective with Garrett Gonzalez and John LaRocca. You've got Jeff Hawkins and Paul Fontaine doing live live reaction recap show of the Dynamite show immediately after airing. We do bonus shows with Robert Silva on the Fight Game Media Boxing Podcast. Mike and JD from the Mike and JD show did an invasion of WWF, the WCW invasion of WWF and recapped Mm. that. Uh, And this next week, the five-star Joshi show will be free. So you can subscribe to the five-star or the Fight Game Media Patreon, not pay a, a dime and get a sample episode this week of the five-star Joshi show. If you want to try it out, I promise you, it'll be great. Even if you do so, next month, you'll get us doing our reaction show, reviewing the final night of the G1 in the middle of August, in addition to our regular shows that we've got planned for. Five Star Joshi Show, of course, they are doing their uh, Five Star Grand Prix. I'm talking about Stardom, the, the women's organization, also owned by Bushi Road, same parent company as New Japan. I'm going to be visiting with uh, Scott Edwards on his show. Uh, we're taping it tomorrow, talking about the early days of the Five Star Grand Prix, which is uh, an exciting tournament as well. So the Five Star Joshi Steven, Show is a great time. you might be on the free show. Might be. That might, that might be the free show we're talking about. <laughs> 
It's a great time to listen, though. Scott is a genius with this stuff, and uh, it, it's such an exciting time for that company as well. So uh, beginning of Five Star Grand Prix is a great time to uh, listen for a little bit of women's wrestling. I consider myself knowledgeable in the world of wrestling. I don't have a chance against Scott Edwards when it comes to the knowledge and just sheer breadth of information that he carries about all forms of wrestling. And he is 20 years younger than me. It is <laughs> it is shameful and embarrassing. And I I understand that Scott Edwards is worth the $5. Yeah, it, it is, especially with the stuff about women's wrestling, which is on a real high right now. There's great yeah. stuff there. Back to the G1 Climax. And thankfully, we are heading back to Tokyo, Jeremy, where things got a lot better very quickly. And Fun night. Went back to two really good shows at Corican Hall, uh, and they both were packed crowd-wise, both with much more enthusiastic crowds, and the wrestlers fed off of that, and they got a better show because of it. So uh, things are picking up after what was kind of a depressing weekend in there. But let's never mind that. Let's talk about these Corican Hall shows. Night one in Corican was on the 25th. Blocks A and B started off with the United Empire Battle of Will Ospreay and the Great Okan. Went 11 minutes and 20 seconds. Um, Great Okan even used mist on Osprey there. Uh, there was a series of new fa uh, near falls. Okan even hit a plancha from inside the ring to the outside. Don't see him flying very much. Uh, Will did a flip out of the Eliminator, that claw slam. That looked great. Okan hit a great mood of moonsault. And so everyone's got their working shoes on early in here, but it was an ass cutter and a leap of faith to win. This was a really good opener. And of course they hugged it out afterwards, but uh, off to a roaring start with you put Will Ospreay in the opener. It's uh, going to get everybody's energy up. This was great. And uh, they're really getting that leap of faith over. It's not been leap of fate, not the leap of faith, apparently. Uh, oh. And Sorry. No, I, I just realized that when I was looking at the screen, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's the leap of fate. F-A-T-E, uh, okay, all right. right. F-A-T-E, absolutely. Okay, right. uh, Great Ocon, it, it never seemed to be in doubt that he was going to lose his match to the leader of this faction. It just doesn't make any sense otherwise to, to do that. But they really had a competitive match. They kind of laid it into each other because they're, they're friends and, you know, they, they just spent time with their... It was a fun match. I enjoyed it. Shoto Umino was up next against Gabe Kidd. And of course, it was a jump start. This time, he jumped <laughs> poor Shooter Shota, when he was moving his way through the orange seats there at Corican Hall. Uh, he, of course, did the entrance to the crowd. Kidd sneak attacked him out there. Uh, it ended up being a long beatdown. Eventually, Umino overcame it, uh, blocked a low blow, and uh, then hit the ignition, that big twisting neck breaker he does, that tuck DDT, and then a Death Rider. First G1 victory for Shota Umino. And uh, is this your big is this your big signature win? No, I don't think Dave Kidd is quite what I had in mind there. Not, not okay. quite. I don't think a shot at the strong open weight tag team titles is quite what I had in mind <laughs> for his signature win. I think it's still that's to fair. Come. That's fair. I, uh, He's off I'll, the schneid. He's off the schneid. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it cool, hot shot. I'm gonna play it cool on this one. Uh <laughs> I I will say we have talked about Cork and Hall in the past and how it's on the sixth floor of this building. This Fifth was floor, a yes. very unique entrance because mm -hmm. you got to see the floor layout of Cork and Hall going yeah. up the stairs and then uh, Shota coming down the stairs to go into the into the arena. Just kind of, if you like that kind of stuff, it was there for you to kind of get layout uh, 
layout yeah. architecture of the place. Yeah, you could nerd out to it a little bit, couldn't you? Because yeah, they showed they showed him coming up through the that stairwell, and that stairwell is very cool. You know, it is a high flights, but uh, there's all kinds of names and uh, autographs and things on written on the wall all the way up to Cork and Hall on the fifth floor. You get out on the fifth floor, and you saw Shooter go past. Uh, the elevators for the mm -hmm. people that don't take the stairs and right out there is where the merch stands are. And it's a tight area. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty compact uh, packed in, but that's the merch area. And a lot of times the wrestlers are there signing things. Uh, even in new Japan, I think one or two guys do an appearance before the show. They're taking pictures and whatnot. And then, yeah, you go through, uh, there's a couple of ways to get in. If you're on the floor, you kind of go around the sides and come in really where the wrestlers come in and out. They, that's really where you, where you mm -hmm. go. Uh, it, there's not a separate entrance out there, but the orange seats have uh, a set of stairs that go up kind of to the fifth and a half floor, sixth floor type of uh, level. And uh, that's where uh shooter went out. And so you did get to see a little bit of that. And uh, but that's also to... like the cork and hole, like rampway, whenever you see like Hiromu do his sprint and right. like try and nail somebody. So that's where Gabe kid came and nailed him from because he did a sprint out the other door and just clocked him. Just, mm -hmm. Just gave him the business from behind. <laughs> Shota took quite a beating over there, but he came back to get his first victory. So yeah, a little uh, Cork and Hall nerdage in there with, uh, yeah. with the match. So that was that made me smile big time. So uh, Kenta Did and Taichi. I love this next one. <laughs> Kenta and Taichi. <laughs> I loved it. I don't know why, but I loved it. <laughs> well, if you love the Yano stuff, you love this. So there was a lot uh, of silliness here. With uh, they pulled Kanemaru out of the ringside commentator position to be a judge for a pose down between the two. Okay, uh, there was a belt shot by Kenta early. Taichi got a ghetto clutch, but uh, Kenta pulled Takuma Sato down, uh, and uh, so he couldn't count it. A uh, lot of ref stuff on this tour. That's too much. Too much. It seems like every <laughs> Bullet Club, whether it's War Dogs, whether it's regular Bullet Club, if it's Yano, or whether it's House of Torture, somebody's doing something to the referee, and I wish that they would realize and just say, man, we're burning this out. Uh, so Kenta got the belt again, hit a low blow and a pin. I guess they're protecting Kenta a little bit, and of course, making it a little tougher for Taichi, because Taichi got off to a hot start in the tournament. But uh, no, this wasn't good. It wasn't good. But I was put in an immensely good mood with Kenta playing air guitar on the Defy belt while Taichi was doing his musical entrance to Taichi's extreme displeasure at Kenta getting right up on him as, as if they were duetting together for, for the thing. I love everything that Kenta does. I know it's stupid, but for whatever reason, it sings to me. And this, this Steven... The thing to me in a stupid, stupid way. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go on from that then. And we'll go to Yoda Suchi and Chase Owens. Uh, this, again, not a whole lot spectacular here, except the crowd kind of lifted this one up a little bit. They mm -hmm. were into Yoda Suji. Uh, it was just kind of moving along, but the match suddenly really lit up. Owens hit a C trigger off of a spear attempt. And boy, did that look good. That was a really good near fall. And then there was another good near fall sequence where they were kind of rolling each other up and look like a couple of times might be the finish, that type of thing. Uh, so that got the crowd moving and uh, it perked up quite a bit. Yoda Suji Suji. got Go ahead. Uh, Suji got out of a package pile driver rally to hit the spearing. He got his first G1 victory. And this is exactly what Chase Owens is here for, to be honest with you. I mean, Chase, a good match and puts the guy over. 
that's Chase's job in New Japan. He did it pretty well here. You want to know something interesting, Stephen? Go ahead, please. This is not only Yota Fuji's first G1 victory. It's his first singles victory since his return from excursion. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. Ah, boy. You know, you, you wouldn't think that he would go that long uh, without it, but he but did. But this is his first thing. singles victory, and, you know, you start you start at the bottom with Chase Owens. Let's see if he starts peeling off a series of wins now. That'll there be interesting go. to watch. Uh, lots to go in this tournament, though. El Fantasmo and Tangaloa. Pretty good match. It was fine, uh, but it also had a key moment like the last match where it suddenly picked up. And Fantasmo's done that a couple of times where his matches are kind of rolling along, even a little quiet right there, and then he suddenly just pulls something out that gets the crowd going. Uh, he went for a Hurricane Rana off the ropes and ended up getting powerbombed instead. Bounced about four feet on that powerbomb, and all of a sudden everybody's paying a lot of attention to this match. And it led to a really good sequence and get ready to take a drink, a crucifix for a pin <gasps> uh, out of the ape shit again. Another crucifix loss for Tangaloa. He's got to figure out a way to counter that bastard, I tell you. So uh, El Fantasmo off the schneid. He had not won yet in this tournament. Uh, got the victory here over Tangaloa. Uh, this was an okay match. I felt like they were kind of a bit of a styles clash. But they were also both baby faces and they did the endorsement at the very end. And you feel like they're going to be doing team ups and partnerships and wrestling matches and multi mans and lower cards in the near future. And this was kind of set the table for that. Hikaleo faced Ren Narita in the next match, went just under 12 minutes, 11.58. And Hikaleo won this one. Uh, I was a little bit surprised at that. Hikaleo used his power and height well in this match. A lot of high falls for Narita. They did a lot of things that took advantage of just how tall he is. And uh, they actually had pretty decent chemistry out of this one. Now, I'm not trying to make it into a classic, but there really wasn't anything wrong with this match. Uh, Hikaleo bid his big uh, snap power slam, that quick power slams kind that Cody does. Hit that one at about 11 minutes. Hikaleo caught Narita jumping off the top in a choke slam. So kind of grabbed him by the neck when he came down. And then after a bit of a struggle, he hit that choke slam and he got his first G1 victory, but poor Ren Narita still on the schneid. No victories at this point for uh, Ren. So, this was the match, and the Tangaloa match prior, where I, I jumped the gun earlier, but I'm going to mention it now, because we're about to get to Kazuchika Okada. I don't know if they are setting up Hikaleo, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa to be the never open weight six-man challengers for Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kesuchika Okada, because I think that there are some bracket matchups, and I could see Okada going undefeated, maybe a draw at some point, but only losing at the very end in a shocking loss to Tangaloa, and that could potentially set up uh, the never-open-weight title, because I think there might be a... there was another matchup in there between uh between one of the never open weights and the Tongans in one of the other brackets. The next two matches were fabulous, by the way. I'll just oh, put yes. that out there at the beginning. We had Kazushka Okada and Yoshihashi in that chaos battle right there. And I mentioned earlier that Yoshihashi is having an excellent tournament. Well, this was a wonderful 16 minutes and 32 seconds. And Okada is one of the best of all time. Of course, he's good, but you know, you just see the bully Okada for the first five minutes of this one. Then Yoshihashi took over for about the next five minutes. So it was fairly even going about the 10-minute mark. 
Uh, Yoshi had a couple of cool spots in there. He countered a Rainmaker with one of his own. Actually, he clobbered Okada with it. Uh, Kuma Garoshi. There were fighting out of in and out of each other's finishers. The signature Okada dropkick came at the 15-minute mark. So with five minutes to go, he thought, well, we probably are going to get a finish here. And indeed, we did. A landslide and a Rainmaker attempt into a very close roll-up by Yoshihashi. But a crucifix bomb. Take a drink. And then a form of explosion. <laughs> Uh, and a rainmaker to win. Yoshihashi has been great, and uh, Okada gets a hard-fought victory here. Go out of your way to see this one. This is a terrific match. Yeah, Yoshihashi. There's a reason these guys are the tag champions when the options uh, came to him to down. Go to Yoshihashi. As much as you want to knock him for what you may remember them being from 2018 to 2021, these are different wrestlers, and they are. They are big match wrestlers in a lot of ways too. They've they've elevated their game because all the big stars have either gotten too old and this is their opportunity or gone away and this is their opportunity to really shine. And uh, within New Japan Pro Wrestling, they are big stars, even if outside New Japan Pro Wrestling, they're not necessarily. Next was the main event, which is Sonata and Kato Kiyomiya. So pretty exciting main event one. right here. Yeah, this was a lot of fun and. They got they me on the on the on the uh, draw. They nice got me thinking there was going to be a draw. <laughs> it was worked at a pace to suggest a draw, wasn't it? And I'm not saying yeah. the match was boring, but they weren't going full speed early. They were wrestling well. Again, this was not like headlock spots and stuff like that. They were, but it was at a pace that would suggest we're not finishing this thing up in ten minutes. The time limit has become a character in the G1. It's it's almost as much of a participant as the wrestlers themselves. And like I said, they've done a great job of going to the time limit and teasing it. And this was probably as good an iteration of that as you could possibly get. And Sonata hit the Tiger Driver on the big Misawa fan, Kiyomiya. Sonata, though, missed a moonsault. Kiyomiya hit the Shining Wizard. That's Muta's move. That's Sonata's hero. So they're hitting each other's heroes' moves on one another. So there was a lot of subtext going on here. Uh, Kiyomiya had a lot of fans in the crowd uh, there, and a lot of people wearing green, which was also uh, Misawa's signature color. Uh, he hit a roaring elbow, a tiger suplex for two with the 18-minute mark. That's a little bit more Misawa there. TKO by Sonata and a Shining Wizard and a deadfall that was reversed into a roll-up. There was a great O'Connor roll exchange. There was a Shining Wizard for... but. Uh, <laughs> The whole time the time calls are coming down to it. Two minutes, one minute, 30 seconds, you think, okay, this is going to be like everything else where they they battle it out, but kickouts toward the end, and we'll go to the 20-minute mark here and leave it ambiguous as to who the best man is here. Instead, Shining Wizard with two, Jeremy, two seconds left on the clock. The three count came down, and the last five minutes of this match in particularly were great. It was a terrific match overall and a surprising finish just because it was so close to that 20-minute mark when Okada, when Sonata got the pin on Kiyomiya. It was this whole, oh, wow, they did end it. Uh, and uh, pretty exciting, very well executed, by the way, uh, and it came down to the end right there. Nice work by both men. I know I criticized Sonata for not quite being the guy that has that air that there's always a classic match on the horizon. But Sonata can pull out really good matches. It just doesn't feel like it's his default setting. This was one of the better versions of Sonata you're going to see. I really like this match. I call this the Mudo match in my mind. It just like you had disciples of them basically meeting disciples of Mudo at different points in his career. 
in some way, shape, or form, meaning off, or Muda had influence in their career. And so I was curious how they were going to go about it. I, when they were going to the draw, I'm like, oh, they they aren't going to have Hanada like run the table in this bracket. He's going to get a draw because, you know, you got another world champion and they're feeling each other out. And you're showing deference to another former world champion. And then he beat him with two seconds left. I'm like, man, this is an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> And that was that show uh, on the uh, 24th. So then we, or 25th, rather, we move on to the 26th, which is this morning's show at Corican Hall. And again, another sellout crowd. There was one more person. So 1,471. Uh, yesterday, 1,472 today. So someone brought their little brother with them and got them. This was the night or day or show in which it was almost all upset if you wanted to look at it. That way, there were there were a lot of topsy turvy results in this one. Really were, and uh, it began with Evil and Hanare going to uh, twelve minutes, which is uh, probably a little more than needed to go right here. It was an evil match, and again, their house of torture is going to house of torture. And uh, this was a crap finish with interference and a low blow. The finish sucked. Match was fine. Evil won. Moving on. Uh, so from there we go to alex coglin and hiroki godo now these are the two guys that i was <laughs> what was going on with them and i just thought well we're gonna find out so coglin looked fine thankfully i was glad to see that and because coglin's really been performing well and obviously he's getting a big push and this is a career opportunity for him and i didn't want him to lose it godo was taped to the gills and like i said this might be a combination of him being banged up and working in an exaggerated version of an in, of a of a, sm- a slight injury, that type of thing, it could be what's going on because he sold the ribs a lot, but he also took some bumps that I don't know if he would take if it was as hurt as he's trying to make it out. Like he is. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like he took he took some bumps. He got hit in those ribs. So I wonder if he doesn't just have like a bruised ribs or maybe a little bit of cartilage damage right there, rather than broken ribs. Uh, which is what they're trying to tell us he has. So, you know, without saying it. Uh, but Coughlin looked okay, thankfully. So I'm hoping that he's, he's absolutely fine. He hit a knee to the gut and a jackhammer for three. This was only six minutes and 23 seconds, which is another hint that maybe Goto is a little banged up and they're trying to keep him, his uh, activity to uh, at least a minimum or a dull roar here rather than have him go 15 minutes. Uh, but got them out quickly. Coglin got a win, and it sets up the tag title shot if they want to go there again. Uh, I, I know I, I don't... Cool surprised me. I thought that yeah. was all settled. I, I thought was kind so of too. Assuming that but it doesn't Godo look like it doesn't win, but they just might not have anybody in the works in the tag team division, and they just might need to go back to the well on that, um, at least for a little while until they can heat up some other teams. There aren't a lot of tag teams, are there? It's really, no, it's I like, think there's like four or five. Yeah, they're a little light on tag teams at the moment, especially with the departure of Aussie Open, who I think they were at least penciling uh, in as dominating the tag team titles for a while before the injury. And then, of course, they signed with AEW. The, the, the kayfabe, uh, Gabe Kidd and Coughlin getting the call because mm-hmm. Aussie Open got signed to AEW. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Yeah. Say that doesn't happen. Right. Say Aussie Open is still there and Tony Khan just says, love you guys. Don't want to sign you right now. Maybe next year. We've got a lot. I've already got plans. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Doesn't sure. sign. Sure. They're probably in this tournament instead of what? TMDK? No, the War Dogs. You think the War Dogs aren't in this tournament if Aussie opens in New Japan? Yes. Hmm. I don't know. 
I think I think they might have been trying to set up War Dogs versus Aussie Open as their. I mean, now look now look the kayfabe thing that Coughlin and Gabe Kidd said is that they basically got the call because these guys weren't yeah. in it. Yeah, I'm not convinced that's true. And, and I and think that, they were in it. That's anyway. all well and good, but it's, I don't know. I don't think that they'd be anything other than what like Hanari and Coughlin and Ocon, if that. You know, they're going to yeah. have good showing, but. You know, they might actually be in a better position just being positioned strongly in Ring of Honor right now. I, I, I hate to say it like that. Well, um, they're, they're, they're positioned better if they have fi- a little more financial security absolutely. and uh, something that they can budget and plan on, which is what they didn't have with New Japan. They were on a bit of a sh- very short-term thing, and uh, Tony Khan gave them the option of having a little bit of financial security for a while. And as a pro wrestler, you know, if you can get it, take it. I'm not going to argue with it. Uh, the, yeah. There's no guarantees in this business at all. Any match could be your last. So uh, I do not blame them as much speaking as I of a, miss seeing them. Speaking of another tag team wrestler that is viable for a title, we got Shingo and Mikey Nichols. And again, they Mikey could and has uh, made it as a singles guy. You know, that's, that's the thing. Shane Haste hasn't always been teaming with him, although they've been teaming for a very long time. This was a good singles match here. Again, they did the damn headbutts and mikey bled from the same spot on the forehead uh that he did in the first match with hanare uh again another odd finish uh shingo looked like he might have been going for a pumping bomber and mikey went the wrong side of him and you know that may have been it uh Mm -hmm. they kind of just kind of ran into each other and then shingo fell on top of him for the pin so i wonder if nickel's just not used to winning but you know, it, it was just a thing where he—I think he might have gone the wrong way on a pumping bomber. Either no, way, no, I'm serious. Uh, he doesn't know how to win. <laughs> you know, he lost this one, and uh, he, he, Shingo finished on top. And yeah, yeah, after yeah. that rough start, that zero two start for Shingo Takagi, I think he's on a, the midst of what's going to be a fairly long winning streak in the G one. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, this was a very interesting show. The first half and the second half were a tale of two shows, weren't they? <laughs> a little bad, because up next was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toru Yano. Uh, this was short, 7 minutes and 45 seconds, but not short enough. Uh, a lot of Yano stuff. There was a high fly flow. I was saddened by a couple of things in this. There was one where they had the Yoshinoya turnbuckle pad, and they were playing tug-of-war with it, and Yano did a damn dragon screw on the turnbuckle pad and tanahashi bumped <laughs> no thank you Just, i i get it it was, tomohiro it was ishii and eddie kingston. very mild <laughs> things picked up after that tomohiro ishii and eddie kingston seriously one of the matches that i am most looking forward to in this tournament when the when the lineups and blocks were announced i thought this is one i'm circling on my calendar it was worth it it was what we were hoping for eddie we sold like his back went out and fought through it gritted his teeth, hell of a chop battle between the two, a lot of chops, a lot of shoulders, a lot of crashing into each other, just two rams, two big rams fighting for territory here, and it was a really well-done version of that. Two back fists by Eddie, got a two-count at the 15-minute mark, so Ishii wouldn't even stay down there. It was a lot suplexing each other and getting up in anger, and, you know, like, I'm out of defiance more than anything else, and uh, but when Ishii hit his vertical drop brain buster, it got a huge <laughs> pop from that Corican Hall crowd, and it looked great. This is one of my favorite G1 matches so far. There have been some good ones. And again, the coverage not bare here. There have been some great matches uh, in here at this mixed bag. But 
this is one of my one of my favorites from this tournament. Now, I think they've had three matches, uh, Ishii and Kingston. Mm-hmm. Have they had two stateside? And this is the first in Japan, or is this the second? That's in right. Japan? That's correct. First one, I believe the other two were over here. I got one of them. I got yeah. one of them in an AEW like pre-show pay-per-view, and it was fantastic. This was better than that. This was a thousand times better than that match. Uh, Eddie Kingston, just he's, they said it in the commentary, this is making him a better wrestler, and I 100% believe that that is legit. And of course, he's having the time of his life. I mean, he's the happiest guy in the building getting to do all this stuff. So, uh, two and two in the tournament so far, being treated with respect. I, I think he's going to finish with a, a, a pretty decent record here. So, next hey, you want to knock me over with a feather? How about this next match? Tetsuya Naito and Shane Haste, 13 minutes and 44 seconds. It was clever because they came up with a multitude of ways for Haste to get out of Naito's big moves. The oh, Destino. Man. Esperanta, uh, Valencia, he just kept slipping out. And each one was a little bit different. And the story was that Naito just could not hit the big shot on this guy. <laughs> so, again, similar in uh, in real sports, if you let the underdog hang around too long, they start to figure they can win. Uh, Haste even kicked out of a destino that came off of uh, him countering one of Haste's moves. Remember, once... Naito really winds up and hits the Destino. That's the kill shot usually. But sometimes he hits Destinos out of being on people's backs and all that stuff. And then you might kick out. Haste kicked out of one of those, but still kicked out of a Destino, right? And finally, Haste caught Naito up on his shoulders again on another Destino attempt and hit a huge bomb. I'm not sure if it's kind of a version of Blue Thunder Bomb. It just, just splattered him. Looked great and got the shock ending, the gasp, out of the Cork and Hall crowd when that uh, referee's hand smacked three and Shane Hayes pinned Tetsuya Naito. I mean, all the air, you hear about the air being sucked out of the room and it's a bad thing. This is the opposite. Everyone was just like, <gasps> you know, just like drawing in oxygen. It's like, oh my God, Shane Hayes just pinned Tetsuya Naito. I pop for it. The psychology of this match being that if Tetsuya Naito can hit this Destino, he's got this match over and won. Right. And he's stopped a dozen different ways. When we <laughs> say like a dozen different ways, and every different. minute he tried a different way to hit this Destino and he literally different. Yeah, so he clever. then hits the Destino and Shane Haste kicks out and then proceeds <laughs> to hit a move and pin Tetsuya Naito. When I say you could have knocked me over with a feather with his psychology, they knew that Naito had to lose somewhere along the way, and yeah. this is how they decided to do it. And hot damn, that that was uh, that was a shock to the system. Just go check this out. A lot of really interesting creativity in this match. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And just a lot of fun work from both guys. Yeah. Uh, next up was Tama Tonga and David Finlay. Now, speaking of Dominion matches, this is a rematch of the Never Open Weight title match with they really put Finlay over hard as a badass right he destroyed Tama Tonga laid him out stretchered him out took his title and he left in an ambulance well Tama Tonga was pissed and thankfully he remembered all that because he jump-started Finlay which absolutely made sense that he would do that just once to get his hands on the bastard who had who put him in an ambulance last time and uh they ended up fighting on that ledge now here's another thing about cork and hall as you've noticed watching there there is that ledge they have where the bleachers are uh, the hard camera side so you see it during the whole show 
there's no safety features to that whatsoever. You are sitting about four feet up. And if you're in the first row, you can dangle your feet over the edge of that ledge. And there's no rail. This would never fly in the United States. <laughs> this would never it's fly like a here. stage. It's like the level yeah, of it's stage. A sta- it is. It's, it's literally a stage. Yeah, you can use it for that. And, and some promotions do, by the way, use it as that. Uh, the smaller ones that aren't going to pack the place, they just kind of put everybody in the orange seats mm-hmm. and use that as a stage instead of the sides. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so they're up there fighting on this thing, and Finley just shoves Tomatonga off of it to the parquet floor. Uh, not... Um, not something to be not trifled gracefully. with. No, it's not something to be trifled with. And then Tomatonga sold his knee the rest of the way. He was selling. He was fine. But uh, not a spot that you want to take too many risks on right there. Uh, but uh, it was it was well done by these two. I'm just saying it was uh, that, that was risky. And uh, they started trying and hitting big moves on one another at about the 12-minute mark. This was worked fast and aggressive with each other the way they should. They really portrayed that these two hated one another effectively. I thought both Tomatonga and Finlay were good at showing there was just real anger behind each of the moves and, and each of the blows. They put a little extra mustard on everything for each other, and it worked for the match. In the end, Tama hit a supreme flow for two. That's a really good-looking frog splash he's got, by the way. Uh, dominator by Finlay for two. The crowd was into that kickout. Boy, they popped big when he got out of that one. He went for a powerbomb, which was how he put Tomatonga in the hospital in the first place. He just kept powerbombing the living hell out of him. But that was reversed into a roll-up for the pin. And that got a big cheer right there. Uh, afterwards, Finlay got kept his heat. I'm not going to say he got it back. He had it anyway. But he uh, continued it by attacking Tamatanga after the match. Ended up hitting him with the shillelagh, laid him out, and all of that. But in the end, uh, Finlay, who had been undefeated in the tournament, suffered a loss and a surprise one to uh, the guy he took the North American title from, storyline-wise. Everything made perfect sense. Was executed quite nice. I thought they had me. There was a point where, like, I don't know if Tamatonga is going to win this match. And mm-hmm. the way that he did end up winning it, where he stole the pin in a lot of ways, but in a totally fair way, uh, it was just fantastic. It paid off a lot, and it it sets up another opportunity for those two to meet up in the near future. Um, this was the match Tamatonga needed to have with David Finley. And yeah. kind of reset his character. Both this one and the next match were payoff matches to long-running storylines within the New Japan world. It, it was a little bit more about what we love about New Japan instead of what we're what's irritated us about New Japan lately. This show was. They got back to the good stuff here. And it also sets up an interesting scenario here, Jeremy. Finlay, Evil, Tamatanga, all sitting at six points. And they have a round robin of tiebreakers against each other. They're all one and one against each other. So They'll figure it all out. It'll Jet. manage to work itself out. <laughs> a match we have seen a couple of times main evented this one, but I could watch it all day, twice on Sunday. Jeff Cobb, Zack Sabre Jr., 16 minutes, 16 seconds. That's important. Uh, both were unbeaten going into this one. So another key uh, block match here. Fun start with a lot of chain wrestling. Cobb showing off his athleticism with a cartwheel. He's really agile for his size in addition to incredibly strong. They seem to enjoy working with each other, don't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach's lanky physique works really well with Cobb's size and thickness. You know, he's, he's just, you know, wide and thick and strong and powerful. And Zach has that lanky long arms and legs and he can just work around that huge body there. And of course Cobb can throw him around and Zach's stronger than he looks. We'll get to that. Yeah. Tour of the islands was countered into a crucifix. Take a drink for two. 
uh, move the tournament here. A series of pen attempts and rolls Lee, uh, goes up to the 15-minute mark, which is symbolic, of course, because Zach is the TV champion. They had, what, one draw and one match for that TV title that did mm -hmm. go to 15 minutes. The next one, uh, Zach got the win. Uh, and there was another tour of the islands after they exchanged German suplexes. And I do mean exchange. Yes. Zach Sabre Jr. German suplexed uh, Jeff Cobb. And it was not, uh, you know, the German suplex where the smaller guy just kind of falls over backwards. He German suplexed him. It was a real thing. And uh, it was Cobb's first singles win over Zach. First singles win over Zach anywhere. Uh, a lot of fun, but the added layer of it coming after the TV title time limit Gave us a little bit of uh, uh, gave us a little bit of subtext. So Cobb has the win over Zach, but it took him longer and than undefeated. 16 minutes. But it took him longer than 15 minutes. And of course, leading his block, one of the few people in this tournament uh, with eight points. So, what did you think of this one? I, I, these two just can't have a bad match, can they? This is, I think, the best match that they had so far. Uh, we always had this kind of circle of the the place where Cobb kind of was going to get his win back, and sure. that's exactly what happened. And we can kind of put a bow on that for now, I think, uh, the whole thing. I really enjoyed it. This capped off what was a surprisingly short show and a yeah. really fun back half of the show. I had to watch half of the show when it was live this morning in order to make deadline for recording this. So it was, a bit of a piece, but it was a bit of a piecemeal show. The first half was not so much until he got to Eddie. And then when I watched the other three matches, uh, when I had time, I was pleasantly surprised by each one of them being awesome in their own different way. Let's take a look at the block standings here, if you would, please. Uh, in block A, we have Sonata at eight points, Kato Kiyomiya sitting at five on that odd number because of the draw, uh, Chase Owens and Shoto Amino, Gabe Kidd uh, log jammed at four, Yoda Suji at three, Hikaleo and Ren Narita bringing up the rear uh, on that one. So, uh, yeah. Are we still mm -hmm. thinking Sonata and Kaido Kiyomiya at this point? And, and Narita, by the way, without a victory. Those are two draws for him. Are we <laughs> still thinking Sonata and Kiyomiya? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. I have a feeling this is going to tighten up, and Shota Umino might still find a way to slide into this thing. I'm not giving up on that yet. But Sonata and Kiyomiya seem to be the direction at which they are hinting. But you know how people tend to trip over the final hurdle in the G1, and somebody manages to Shota and Yoda still, still have a draw to come up to. <laughs> That's true. Block yeah. B, Kazuchika Okada, the class of the field there, eight points, Will Ospreay on six. His loss, of course, to Taichi could end up being important. Uh, Kenta, Taichi, and Yoshihashi at four. Phantasmo, Okan, and Tangaloa at two points. Blocks. So the, the oh, three that we got in there, Okada, Taichi, and Will Ospreay seem to be the guys that I would look at as potentially being in the hunt near the last I'm, day. I'm feeling good about our prediction on that one too. Yeah. Yeah. Block C also feeling good about our prediction on this one. Uh, David Finlay, six points, evil, six points, Tomatonga, six points. I mentioned that they all are in a bit of a round Robin there. Eddie Kingston and Shingo Takagi, Takagi, an important stalking horse there at four, not far back at all. Nichols Hanare and Ishii with two. So I still feel like David Finlay has to go through because they have to portray the mm -hmm. new leader of Bullet Club strong. Uh, I still feel that it's between Shingo and, you know, so I don't think Evil's going to get theirs, but Tamatanga, Eddie, Shingo, somebody at four points there will stick their nose in things. Look, Finley and Eddie having a match on the last night screams to me, yeah. winner goes, loser doesn't. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And Eddie doesn't necessarily need to go to the quarterfinals. No. You know, that's the thing. Eddie just needs to look good doing it, and he's already doing that. Block D, we have Jeff Cobb on eight, undefeated. So that's Sonata, Okada, and Cobb undefeated at uh, 4-0 at this stage. Zack Sabre Jr. was six, but that crucial tiebreaker with Cobb. And then Naito, Goto, Tanahashi, and Haste, all with four. Coglin at two. Yano, the only scoreless man in the tournament at this point. And again, I don't see them going to the quarterfinals without Naito. And Cobb and Zach, you know, Cobb has a habit of coming out strong at the beginning of tournaments and then being taken down a couple pegs late. I still feel pretty good about that prediction. So Cobb has eight points and yeah. he has three matches left against Hiroki Goto, Toriano, and Shane Haste. I could see him losing all three of those matches. Yeah, you never know. And uh, yeah. yeah, let's see. And after that, we have uh, we, we will go into what's coming up this week. Uh, and then that's uh, tomorrow. But we're going again tomorrow morning at the Oda hey, City Ward Gym. Okay, go ahead. Can I mention something real quick that I find yeah, kind please. of funny? Uh, yeah, Post Wrestling is doing a G1 listener contest standing. Oh, and yes. it was made clear to me by Kevin Ely from The Boom. Uh, I have been in first place of this thing since <laughs> night three all the way through night eight. So if you want to go support post-wrestling, check out their listener contest for the G1 standing and see if I can sustain this lead of winning the entire G1 prediction contest. Follow along like, with me because it's a lot of fun for me. <laughs> I feel like you and I have drawn a pretty good beat on this tournament from the beginning. Yeah. And, and, I, and yeah. I haven't really seen anything in the first two weeks that dissuades me from my original predictions and certainly not yours. And, uh, I, I feel like we have this one fairly dialed in, but there's plenty of time for surprises, aren't there? So, so I'll briefly mention it each week and let you know if I have lost yet. I yeah, totally yeah. expect to lose because humility is my middle name. Uh, <laughs> but I do find it funny that and and somewhat tickled that I am doing so well in a random uh, G1 prediction that honestly, I just went down the list. I'm like, I think this is it. But I spent 10 minutes and it was an hour before deadline. So uh, I hope they don't hear that and get mad at me because <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the collegial effort that I would say that most people expect from me. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to the Oda Ward city gym. Now we need to do this, Jeremy, because yes. this next show is too big for Cork and hall. It has one of the biggest matches in pro wrestling on it. This is headlined <gasps> by Okada against Will Ospreay. One of the biggest matches in wrestling. And then also on this card here at Oda City Ward Gym, Yoshihashi against Taichi. Two guys having great G1s. And then we have Sonata versus Narita. Is this the upset? Or is Narita really going this deep into the tournament without a victory? We're going to find out tomorrow. I don't yeah. see Narita being the guy to get one over on Sonata. I don't oh. know what it is. Like, if you're not going to give Yoda a big match win, you're not going to give Shota a big match win. You're not going to give Ren Narita a win over the champion. I just I I don't. <laughs> I agree 100%. I also would have said there's no way in the world Shane Hayes is pinning Tetsuya Naito. So, again, you can't, you can't <laughs> hang yourself out there too much. I, but uh, 100% an agreement. I do not expect it. Right. But, you know, if Ghetto really wants to throw a wrench into the works, this is the place. And Sunday, July 30th. So, we get uh, Friday and Saturday off there. And then uh, Sunday, they're in Aichi. Uh, which is uh, Tanahashi against Goto right there. Uh, that's that's one of the matches there on Sunday. And let's see. Then we go to Tuesday, August 1st in Kagawa. 
That's Taichi against El Fantasmo, Shota Umino against Yota Suji. So that's the other Reiwa uh, Green Musketeers match. <laughs> and Okada versus Kenta. And then Wednesday, August 2nd, Ishii against Tanare. That should be interesting. Cobb against Goto. And then you have Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr. Now, Naito is from Tokyo, but the Hiroshima Carp have adopted LIJ, and it's kind of a second hometown for uh, Naito. So keep that in mind as this important block uh, battle comes up. Could matter for tie-breaking purposes. And Finlay against Shingo. Is this another mm. loss for Finlay? Shingo is the perfect guy to go after the never-open-weight title, and he's already behind the eight ball with those two early losses. I would say because Shingo has the tiebreaker loss to Kingston, if he had the tiebreaker win over Finley, meaning Finley has to absolutely win that match, that seems like a structure that they would be going down. We'll talk about it next week on the show. So that's what's coming on there. Now, uh, we also have some news and notes just a little bit here as we get close to the end. Uh, we heard that Kosei Fujita, Ichiban Sweet Boy from TMDK, mm. Uh, after the G1 tour, we found out he is going to go on excursion in Australia with the Tamashi uh, promotion. So we'll be losing Kosei Fujita here soon. So And that please. sweet, sweet fade of his. Oh, my <coughs> goodness. Uh, we're going to be losing Ichibel Sweet Boy uh, going down to Australia. I am looking forward to him hitting that next step in his progression. Uh, all these young lions could come back develop their new identity it's time for the next oh, cycle man. to go i am super yeah. excited for it yeah i'm gonna miss him as well because he's a terrific wrestler but <clears throat> time for his excursion and time for my voice to go so <laughs> all-star junior festival in the u.s coming up at the 2300 arena in philadelphia <clears throat> excuse me we got some more names for it we talked about some of them last week hiromu oh yeah we got master wato Rocky Romero, Nick Wayne, El Desperado, Shun Skywalker from Dreamgate, Mike Bailey, Doki, and the Dragon Kid. This week, Uncle Nobu, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, will be in Philadelphia. So will Robbie Eagles. Jordan Oliver, one of Nick Wayne's tag team partners. Mao, uh, Yo, Clark Connors, and Blake Christian. Also announced for that. Well, it's going to be a pretty crowded card, it seems like, doesn't it, Jeremy? Yeah going to be able to purchase it on pay-per-view and it's going to have that extended pay-per-view window. So we will be covering it for our show. Uh, don't know if we'll do it live, but we'll definitely be having coverage of it either way. Yeah. And uh, I think we're just about uh, running close to time here. So we will probably try to do our history uh, next time, unless you want me to run through it real quick. How long do you think it'll take? Yeah, I could probably do it. So if you want to do it, uh, the, the next stage, we talked about the World League Tournament and how the uh, tournament wrestling began in New Japan the very early days. Mentioned that all Japan was working with the NWA. The IWE promotion in Japan was working with the AWA. So who's that leave? Leaves WWF, doesn't it? And sure enough, Antonio Inoki and Vince McMahon Sr. began working together. Inoki and Fujinami went over and worked in Madison Square Garden, and they began a little bit of a talent exchange. And probably most importantly, New Japan became the place where Andre the Giant began making appearances. So he had been going to other promotions. He worked for IWE for a little while there. And, of course, Vince McMahon Sr. booked Andre. So he began to send Andre to New Japan, which was a big deal. Big drawing card right there. And, again, started to give the company a little bit more legitimacy as a game momentum. They also started associating themselves heavily with the most famous arena in the world, Madison Square Garden. 
The tournament became the MSG League in 1978, the Madison Square Garden League Tournament. That was the name of it. And uh, we started working heavily with some of that WWF talent. It was still a worldwide wrestling federation for a little while there. And in January of, uh, oh, excuse me, in uh, April through May uh, of 1978 was the first uh, MSG League. And uh, the final standings of that one are wackadoo. And I'm going to explain why. If you can figure out this point system, you're doing better than anyone on the internet currently. Andre the Giant finished with 37 points. I don't know. Antonio Inoki, 29 in second place. Seji Sakaguchi. So those are the familiar names, right? Antonio Inoki, his right-hand man. And then Fujinami finished third at 25. Bugsy McGraw in the tournament, if you remember him. Bugsy was in this one. Nikolai Volkov, 14 points. Uh, Ricky Choshu, who was very early in his career right there, only scoring nine. Uh, Yumanosuke uh, Ueda. If you've ever seen Ueda, when they had, uh, you know, uh, what was it, uh, Izuka, when he had the iron uh, fingers, and he mm -hmm. would just be like this animalistic guy running through. Ueda was kind of that day's chaos goblin. He, he, was, he was not somebody that uh, wrestled in a conventional way. He was brawler. He was, uh, you know, biting a lot of chairs. He was just gonzo guy. He wasn't totally animalistic the way Izuka was portrayed, but he was uh, a chaos goblin. So you were more likely to have things like countouts and DQs with the weight of than anything else. He finished with five points. Chief J Strongbow. I don't know if he, and again, there's not a lot of records about this tournament, but uh, ended up uh, with zero points. But that was a big WWF guy. I don't know if he got hurt or, or how that turned out, but uh, Strongbow uh, finishing 37 points behind Andre, who finished in the final standings. The final was uh, Antonio Inoki beating Andre by countout there. So the next year you had guys like Stan Hansen. Uh, in there. Uh, El Kanek, a big star from Mexico. Uh, Larry Zabisco, WWF guy at the time, coming over, a young guy, and was still a year ahead of his big feud with Bruno San Martino. And uh, once again, that one was, uh, and Tony Gurria also there from the WWF. Inoki defeated Stan Hansen in the finals there. In 1980, they had the biggest names yet. Listen to this one. Inoki, again, finishing with 35 points. Don't know how, but Stan Hansen, Andre the Giant, the American Dream, baby, Dusty Rhodes, with 29 <laughs> points. So Dusty was in there. Sakaguchi, Fujinami, Choshu, and Chavo Guerrero was seven. Uh, Inoki defeated Stan Hansen by disqualification again. So the other thing we're seeing here is that Inoki really establishing himself as the top guy. It's, uh, it's good to be the owner, isn't it? And Booker. So the next year, an important one for the company. 1981, Stan Hansen was still the top foreign heel at the time. What Inoki did not know was he was about to leave <laughs> because Hansen had quietly been in negotiation with the Funks, Terry and Dory Funk, to come over to All Japan. This is where Inoki is very lucky. He didn't know that. That was not made known to anyone. That Stan, in fact, he, Stan Hansen debuted for All Japan by just walking out during their tag team tournament finals uh, with... Uh, Bruiser Brody and Jimmy Snuka. And that was a big shock. Uh, and I don't think the New Japan people even really knew it was happening until just before that All Japan show. Uh, because Hansen had been wrestling for New Japan only days before. So Hansen actually finished with the most points. But there's a guy that would become the next big foreign star, Hulk Hogan. 1981, his first run uh, for uh, New Japan. Again, that one 
He hadn't joined the AWA yet. That would happen later in 1981. He was still kind of working with the WWF at that time. Well, Hulk Hogan would become one of the most important figures in early 80s New Japan wrestling. A big, big star over there. So important moment there where Hogan debuted as Hanson was leaving. Sergeant Slaughter and Bob Duncombe. Uh, also on this one. And Chris Adams, uh, if you remember Chris Adams from Texas, feuded mm-hmm. with the Von Erics quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He was in there. And this one again, Antonio Inoki beating Hanson by countout. So with that, the Madison Square Garden League kept using these WWF names. And you would get Inoki battling all these guys, basically. Andre the Giant was a heel in Japan as well. The next year, again, Andre was there. Killer Khan. Uh, who uh, had the big run with Andre in 1981. Well, in 1982, he was part of this one uh, facing him. Dick Murdoch, the mass superstar, Bill Eady, and his new, he was uh, one of the Mongols before. He's back. Tony Atlas, Mr. USA, guy that worked with the WWF a lot. Don Morocco, guy that would be an intercontinental champion. Iron Sheik, uh, he had been Kosro Vaziri back in the World League days before he was the Iron Sheik. Now he's back as the Sheik. This time, Andre the Giant defeated Killer Khan in the finals. Uh, Antonio Inoki was injured and unable to compete in the final, but Killer Khan was the next highest finisher, took his place, taking advantage of that whole Andre the Giant-Killer Khan feud that had gone around the world. It, they uh, Khan made his entire image because when Andre broke his ankle away from the ring, uh, it wasn't part of a match, they decided to make it a storyline that Killer Khan had broken Andre's ankle. It was a storyline, mm-hmm. but... With that, the idea that he put Andre the Giant on the shelf led to a big money feud with Andre that went around the horn a couple of different times, led to stretcher matches between the two, uh, you know, stipulation matches. And then they were able to take that feud, Jeremy, just off of the magazines and WWF TV to many different territories. They did it in Toronto. They did it in Montreal. They did it in down south. I think they had a match around in like mid-south. And in Texas, they, they could go to different territories with Andre the Giant versus Killer Khan solely on the idea that Killer Khan injured Andre once. And it was a big match because who the hell could ever hurt him, right? Right. They even took it to Japan here. And so New Japan, one of the biggest things there. Killer Khan, who has a restaurant in uh, the not too far away from the Shinjuku district to this day. You can go in, uh, to Killer Khan's restaurant, but he was part of that. So, yeah, you know, in 1982 through 78, they had this Madison Square Garden League thing going. As the 80s progressed and Vince McMahon Jr. started having more and more of an influence and taking over a little bit more, of course, he started keeping these guys more in the States and they weren't going to New Japan quite as much. Andre still went for a few years. But uh, after that, they they knew they needed a new concept. So in 1983, we had the first IWGP tournament. We're going to talk about that where the International Wrestling Grand Prix, because remember, there was no IWGP title. At that point, uh, it was uh, just the tournament. There wasn't a defended championship called the IWGP. And this would also go through several uh, iterations. We'll go over them all next week. Uh, and hopefully next week, if we have time, we'll see how uh, when New Japan starts uh, dialing in the format that right. we know and love as the G1. So there you go. A little bit of uh, WWF tie-in in the late 70s, early 80s, leading to New Japan becoming a little more independent using a little more of their own guys uh, to, to get uh, the local guys over, a little more uh, using Japanese wrestlers to get other Japanese wrestlers over rather than relying so much on WWF talent, and that'll be the next iteration of uh, the tournament. 
Thanks for doing that, man. Uh, I always like these history lessons. It's uh, a nice little feature that we have um, with our show. Speaking of strong style, I have an email address in that name. So oh, if you have good. any feedback that you want to give towards Stephen and myself, just email speakingofstrongstyle at gmail.com, and we'll keep an eye out for that and uh, any correspondence. So, oh. All right. Very cool. So should we wrap this one up for this week? Let's do it. All right. So we want to thank you very much for listening to Speaking of Strong Style. For Jeremy Humility Feinstone, I'm Stephen oh. Conway. Thanks once again for joining us. And we'll talk to you again real soon when we cover all the latest news and all the latest shows from G1 Climax 33. See you next week. It might be that modesty is my middle name next week. You never know. <laughs>